I'll be reading from Nehemiah 7, verses 1 to 3. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had put the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity who feared God more than most people. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them lock the doors and bar them. Also, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Lord, as Keith comes to preach today, I pray that you will um, put, in his, put in his mouth the words that we need to hear so that when we leave this service and go back to our normal lives, we can um, be richer and bring, bring your love and your presence to our um, people that we spend time with in our lives. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Wow. I don't know about you. Uh, that was amazing. Just a whole happy day. And I, yeah, I think so. You know, I, I kind of tr- tr- trudged in here this morning. And, you know, look, God's, God's always good, but I'm not. And um, I came in here this morning. And uh, wow, beautiful, beautiful. Isn't it amazing? And I'm just going to pray as just ask the Holy Spirit to come, you know, and speak to us at our very point of need today. Um, thanks for reading, Jake. I, I didn't ask Jake to read all of the verses. There was 70 plus verses in that, and it, most of it was a list of names, a telephone book, which are really great in the Bible, but it would have been here a while. And so I'm going to pray, and let's just uh, expect God to do, to speak to us, shall we? He's, he's going to do that. So thank you, Lord. That was no accident that we're here today. We thank you so much, Lord, that you ordained even this time. And many of us perhaps have lost perspective. We're still craving what used to be. But Lord, we thank you that there's no accidents with you. You're not surprised by anything. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, in only the way you can, that you might just come. You might surprise us. You'll speak to me first. Anything that's not from you will just disappear. The things that are left, Lord, might it be the things that you would have us individually and corporately uh, just take away, but be doers also. We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you live inside. We don't have to try harder, but you equip us and you call us into cooperation. We thank you that it's your plan and it's not just local, it's international. As I often pray, you are a world-class deity. And Lord, we want to have a vista that is bigger than me, myself and I, that is bigger than us, that is bigger than this area. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as your ambassador, may I take my place in that. So we just thank you for this time. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah 7. Um, I love going through series in, in, in the Bible because it forces you to speak about things that maybe you wouldn't choose or whatever it might be. So I always love going through series and then it's just the Holy Spirit's timing then. It's not about handpicking topics uh, for the issue of the day or whatever it might be. So it's really, really good. But I love the gathering. If you're online today, it's beautiful you're online. I'm so grateful for the tech teams and everything that makes that possible. Hasn't it been a blessing when none of us 
others could meet. It's been fantastic. I, yeah, I always think it's great to clap whoever because these people, we don't see them. We don't see them. So thank you. But you know, there's something very, very, very special about God's gathered people. There's something, there's that element, the Holy Spirit who comes and he interacts amongst us that you cannot replace. It's just something so incredible and we can't put our finger on it, but it's that sort of thing that when we're worshipping and we're there and somehow the Spirit ministers, doesn't he? Doesn't he just come and just give us a different vista of what's going on? And there's lots of different groups that meet. You might have heard of this. I don't know if I've said it before. Sorry if I have. But there's a group that meet in London called the Sunday Assembly. Now, this is a really popular assembly. If you go on the website, I went on the website this week, and um, in in some of the early pages, uh, it's great. I mean, you can look on this Sunday assembly, there are people uh, packed, laughing, uh, with their hands in the air. I mean, it could be absolutely any uh, good church website, whatever it might be. And, and, And I kind of took a clip out of what they said who they are. And it said this, there were, now, they started, when did they start? 2013, so it's not too long ago, and there are now 40 Sunday assemblies. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And it's basically what they do, they, they sing songs together, this Sunday assembly, hear inspiring talks. Who doesn't want to do that? And they create community together in a family-friendly, inclusive setting. That would be lovely on our website, wouldn't it? It was a bit of a twist, as you probably got. It says here, that before that, I'll read you the intro. Sunday Assembly was started by Sanderson Jones and Pippa Evans, two comedians who were on their way to a gig in Bath. When they discovered they both wanted to do something that was like church, but was totally secular. You could just get together and basically it was supposed to be inclusive of all, inclusive of everybody, probably in brackets apart from Bible-believing Christians, Christ followers. Inclusive of all. So kind of, no matter what they believe, we wanted to create this Sunday assembly. And the first ever Sunday assembly took place on January the 6th, 2013, in Islington, London. Almost 200 people showed up, literally, to turn up, to sing, whatever songs they sang. And sometimes, you know, I've been to places who profess to be believing communities and you have to sort of listen for a while before Jesus is mentioned. Don't you? Is he the center? And you see, what is the difference? Because, you know, they have donuts and all sorts of things and we could get kind of jealous and say, well, we need to be a place and isn't it great to have all those great things? I guess if they're not a distraction, But you see, what we actually do, we can easily focus on what it is we're doing. We can become so functional that 80%, I said the other week, of our time is is focused on, on the Sunday, and that's amazing and brilliant. But you see, what the difference is between the gathering of God's people, which is what we're tracking from the people of Nehemiah coming back all those years ago, is it's not about what we do, but it's who we are gathered around. That is the whole difference of who it is we are gathered around. And we're called now to become God's gathered people again. And I know some of you at home have been very reticent and I understand different anxieties. And it's great to see people today. It's so beautiful and I pray that gives an increasing confidence for us to be God's gathered people again. Because we're shadowing the people of Nehemiah who were kind of anxious 
they were coming back to be God's gathered people again. And we've been saying that, remember, as, as Christ followers, I like to call myself that. Not a perfect one. But as Christ's followers, we remember we're in a battleground and not a playground. I've been using these metaphors for a couple of weeks that we are more to be like a warship where every single one of us knows our role and not a cruise ship where literally 99% are on deck chairs hoping everyone else runs around after them. And if they don't do that well, then I'll join another cruise ship down the road. And that can happen, it happens all the time because we forget who it is we are gathering around and that it's not about me. And so we've been shadowing the people of Nehemiah. And remember the wall was completed last chapter, last week, but it was never about a physical project, about bringing a people together around him. That's what it was about. But you see, it's always about who we're gathered around. And we can forget that. And so my tastes become more important than who it is I'm coming to worship. The things I like. And I understand that. We need to engage with the Lord in our worship time in all sorts of things. And I pray the Spirit of God does that here with you. It's wonderful. But you see, it's always been. This isn't a new thing. A new teaching. Remember back in Exodus chapter 3 when God called the reticent Moses and says, you're going to go and bring my people out of Egypt. And remember what the great punchline was, Exodus 3.12. God didn't say, I'm going to save you across the Red Sea and then have a great life, just be a great community who are really friendly and have donuts. He said in 3.12, and you shall come and worship me on this mountain. See, our destination is always forever shall be toward him around him and you know that's where we're heading it's not just an exodus thing let's go back to the very last book of the bible in revelation 21 are you looking forward to jesus coming back anybody so why don't we speak about it can i just ask that question i think i spoke about it to someone the other week and we were saying uh, was it debbie was it yourself sorry you don't have to admit it and um but i've now put you on the spot haven't i sorry but we chatted and said you know what about the lord coming back Amen, hallelujah, that gets a clap. I tell you, I can't wait. Maranatha. But you see, in the very last book of the Bible, it gives us a picture of a people, and it's all about him. Revelation 21, you've heard this before, I hope. Then I saw, says John in Revelation, in this great revelation from the Lord, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. That's why we moved to the seaside again, just to get the time in. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people and he will dwell with them. And here's the punchline. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. See, that is the great difference here. The great difference is we are gathering around almighty God, awesome God. Our awesome God. Don't we sing it? Our God is an awesome God. And so you can have a Sunday assembly if you want. You can do all those sort of things. But if it's not around the one who formed us and loved us and saved us and drew us, then it's a waste of time. 
And so this is what we see in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's got a job on because he wants to bring the people back who've been in exile, who've been surrounded by all sorts of cultures, the Persian culture and some of them were the Babylonian culture before that. And they, they had all sorts of influences. I'm so pleased we are not influenced by the culture of this world. Are we? But you see, it takes for us as well to maybe just rethink, what does gathering back around him look like again? And so what I want to do very briefly, you see in chapter 7, you might not have noticed it, it's really amazing. But what Nehemiah does is he tells us some of the elements. We've kind of heard the project up to now. The wall's being built, it's been very practical, it's been really, really good. But the fact of the matter is, is now we start to see some of the elements, some of the things that Nehemiah puts in place to ask, answer the question, what sort of place? That's the title of today's message that I've given it, is what sort of place are we to be? And so we see that here. There's no community like it. And so we see, first of all, in verse 1, that really as we gather together, we're to be a place of security, worship, and godly instruction. A place of security, worship, and godly instruction. Did you see that in verse 1? That Jake read to us, after the wall had been rebuilt, I'd set the doors in place. The gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. You see, gatekeepers in the Bible, there are around 33 references in the Old Testament to gatekeepers, 11 of them in Nehemiah. And these were people largely who would guard things, but they're given a a kind of broader, more obvious spiritual role in Nehemiah as well. And so it's key for us is that we, we want this to be a place of welcoming, of safety, where we can uh, be family together, that's for sure. But also we could extend the word gatekeeper to those who defend our teaching. I don't know when the last time was that you read the Waypoint Statement of Faith. It's really, really interesting. A number of years ago, when I was uh, serving at Bethel in Coventry, I did a series on the Statement of Faith. And we walked through it and people were surprised. I'd forgotten I believed that. I didn't know what it meant. I just ticked the box and said I want to be a member and I don't know what it really meant but I felt a bit embarrassed because I've been a Christian 20 years. I don't ask anybody. That's not the kind of environment we want to nurture. Come and talk and say, what is it? Because we're living, as I said last week, we're living in a time where all sorts is under attack. The gospel is under attack. Look back at last week's video. Catch up. We have a beautiful gospel A glorious gospel. Great is the gospel of our glorious God. And it's under attack. So gatekeepers. And we see in Nehemiah, we'll see it in the very last chapter, chapter 13, that they're there to protect the Sabbath. People's gathering together. It needs to be a place of security. Ultimately, it needed to be a safe place for Nehemiah so people could come and gather around the God who loved them. We want this to be a secure place, but we need to also defend those things that we stand on as Christ-following believers. It's important that we understand Scripture, that we learn these things. I'm amazed there's congregational studies done by all sorts of uh, important people. And shockingly, uh, the last study I actually read, it was something like the amount of people, the question was around how many believers actually read the Bible on a daily basis. 8%. I'm talking 
what you'd call it, actually Bible-believing believers. 8%. And no wonder we're at sea all the time or we're rocked all the time. We have no truth all the time. But also it needs to be uh, not only a secure, friendly place, but also it needs to be a place of worship. We see, didn't we, that musicians were there. Musicians weren't just a bolt on to the sermon. They often led the charge when it came to God's people. And didn't that lead the charge this morning? You know, I was, I, I was, I was down there worshiping. I was thinking, Lord, please show up. Please, we know he's here. That's poor theology. But the fact at the end of the day is sometimes we just don't feel it. And I felt lifted. Thank you so much to be able to come and share with you. And there's so many references to singers in the Old Testament, half of them in Nehemiah. In fact, in chapter 12, there are whole villages given over to musicians and singers. Would you like to live in one of those places? Crumbs, I don't know. I suppose it'd be quite a jolly place, the streets to walk around, wouldn't it? You'd hear a different song on every corner. So you see the importance of having the worship team, the musicians and the singers. So it's supposed to be a, a people of praise, but around God. And about the truths of Scripture, we can learn from singing great songs. And we need to pray for our worship leaders that they select songs that depict the truths of the kingdom and the king. It's not easy. It's not a bolt-on at all. This is central to everything we do. It calls us together. And so I'm grateful that we have a worship team, including all the technical team, everybody, that actually desire to point us to, to Christ. I'm so grateful they want to do that. They want to point us to the Lord. Didn't you sense that this morning, the beautiful prayers? Wasn't it great? Celebrating the works of God. But you see, even that, we can be secure and we can have worship. This is what we're gathering around. I mean, you could kind of say that the Sunday assembly um, had, was, they've probably found it quite a friendly place and uh, they had some songs. It wasn't worship. Um, but really, it needs to be an informed worship. So we also have Levites. And so I appointed gatekeepers, musicians, and the Levites, says Nehemiah right there in verse 1. Don't worry, we're not going to do all 70 plus verses. You'll be fine. And the Levites originally were appointed to help the priests out in Numbers 3 and 4. That was their role. Yet their role expands, we'll see next time in chapter 8 when Jim takes us through that, that the Levites are, are sent out by Ezra to teach the people. And I'm so grateful that we have teachers here that go out into smaller groups, into our life groups. And we need to pray for that ministry. And we need more, more people to teach and to, to, who love Jesus and who love his word and love his truth to do that. And so we see that firstly, that when we gather around him, it's a place of security. It's a place of worship to him. And it's a place of of godly instruction. Yet also such a community, did you notice in verse 2, it needs godly leadership. It's a place of godly leadership. So Nehemiah says, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. Why? Because he was a man of integrity and fear God more than most people. The fear of the Lord. Now I'm so grateful for that song we sang before the message. Because there's a type of fear that's not from the Lord. And that's a fear that the enemy puts 
in our hearts and tries to leave us down. You know, some people say to me quite often, what's the difference between when the enemy has a go and, and, and he's challenging you and when the Lord perhaps? And the enemy will always seek to leave you on the floor, down and out without hope. Where the Lord allows trials in our life for our holiness and our challenge. There's a difference. Satan would bring us trials for our ruin and the Lord brings us trials for our holiness and our Christ-likeness. And that's different. But you see, there's a, there's a fear that is a healthy fear and it's not the fear of the world that we sang about because we are a child of God and I'm so grateful I'm adopted. Anyone else? Isn't it amazing that I'm a child of the King? But there is a fear of the Lord. And this fear of the Lord is a great theme I would recommend either in a midweek or on your own or in your life group, doing a study of the fear of the Lord in the Bible. It's a great term. What does it mean? It's not that I'm scared of God. It's that I've got an awesome, beautiful, loving awe of just who he is, his holiness, and that I'm not him. But sometimes we feel we know best. So it's having that tension. And there are so many tensions that we try and work out that only God can work out his love and his judgment. Having a, a love, being a loving child of the king, but having a holy fear of the Lord. And it's great. And it's not just about godly leaders like Hananiah or Hananiah. This is about everybody. So you remember in Exodus chapter 1 when Pharaoh was paranoid about the, the Hebrews uh, growing in population. So he said, right, I want you to commit infanticide. I want you to kill all the firstborn of the Hebrew babies, the males. And Exodus chapter 1 says the Hebrew midwives refused to do it because they feared the Lord more than Pharaoh. Everyday midwives, everyday people making choices about what they do because they fear the Lord. When the apostles were told to be quiet, Acts chapter 5, don't preach about the resurrected Jesus anymore. Peter stood up and says, we must fear God rather than men. The Proverbs chapter 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a fear of the Lord that's going to keep me in check. And boy, do I need it. Don't you need it? Anyone need it? Everyone got it sorted? You're all fine. Don't you want the Lord to come and say, show me who you are again, Lord. I just want to see you for who you are. And worship you with reverence and fear. And pray, pray for our leadership, that this is a place of godly leadership who fear the Lord more than popularity of a congregation, more than popularity of people or decisions that the government might or might not make. Of course, we know through Romans 13 that we are to respect governments. That's very clear in Scripture. But when it's against the kingdom of God, we have to stand. I think we need to be a people as we gather again that gets back into what God is saying in his truth. I really believe that. And I know there's some amazing, wonderful, godly people I've met here. Fantastic. I'm not making any judgments. That's wonderful. I point at myself. But as well as being a place of security, worship, godly instruction, please pray for the leaderships. You know, one of the judgments in Scripture of the Lord is that when he judges an individual or a people group, he says, for they have no fear of me before their eyes. When, Mo when Moses went to Pharaoh, what did Pharaoh say? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? You see, as the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. But you see, for God's people as we gather, 
it's different. So without this amongst us, and without this in our leadership, a fear of the Lord, we want to go God's way, not our way, not the popular way, not the ladies' church in America way, not all that way. We want to go the Lord's way for us as a kingdom plan locally and beyond this. As we do that, then we need to have a fear of the Lord and look to him and say, Lord, what is it you'd have me do, you'd have us do? How can we gather again as your people and make an impact? Because without any of that, we may as well be a Sunday assembly. And that scares me. So please pray. I often, I said it last time, I spoke last week. Please pray for our leadership. That they can have the mindset, indeed all of us can, that they serve all of us, but they only have one master. And that will mean we're in pretty good shape as we go forward. Finally, wonderful promise that. This is a place where people know the story they are part of. You might have noticed, if you, I didn't ask Jake to read it, um, because it would have been, uh, we would have been here quite a while. But in the verses from verse, uh, right from verse 6, right through to the end, Nehemiah uh, lists people who first came back from the uh, exile some 90 years previously, it's literally a carbon copy of Ezra chapter 2. He lifts it and says, these are the people who came back before in the first tranche. Remember Nehemiah is the third tranche. Ezra 1 to 6 is the first lot, Zerubbabel. 7 onwards is Ezra. Now 90 plus years, about 13 after Ezra, you have Nehemiah. But what he does is he takes this group of people and he lists all the original people way back in Zerubbabel's time who came back. Look at Ezra 2. You'll see, the, you'll see it's a very carbon copy almost. So what? Is that just about knowing stuff in the Bible? No. Because what Nehemiah is keen to do with his, this newly gathered people, it's beautiful. He wants to remind them that it's not about them. That they're part of a much grander narrative. That they're coming together on the back of the saints of the past. Now we might say that our New Testament version is Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham. By faith Abel. By faith Noah. And so we see ourselves, and we know the Hebrews writer says, so since we're surrounded by that beautiful cloud of witnesses in chapter 12, he says, what does he say? Let us fix our eyes and be like Abraham. Let us be like Abel. Let us be like Noah. No, he doesn't say any of that. No matter how great these people were, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, the great thing when you're new in the church is you try and learn the histories really quickly. And I haven't yet, so please, not all at the same time, but please do tell me some things. I've learned about Loxie Free Church and the early days of church planting and some of the things that happened and celebrated that. And so we could fast forward and say that actually we're here today or we're watching today on the back of those who've gone in the past and I'm also conscious today that some, there are some here who will be grieving recent losses. Losses of saints who've sat in this room. And that's incredibly sad. And we grieve with you. And I just want to encourage you to take that baton. Whether it's the baton of Nehemiah's crowd, or whether it's the baton from Hebrews 11, or whether it's the, the baton from your family members. Take that baton of faith and run fixing your eyes on Jesus. 
Because Nehemiah wants the people to know the story they're part of. We are part of a grander narrative here at Waypoint Church. It's now our chapter. This is our time. I'm going to bring this down now and we're going to worship again. It's probably been fairly subdued today. I don't always jump around. You just got to be faithful to the text. That's the key thing. But you see, I'm so grateful, as I've said already, for the online presence, and that's great. But can I just say, nothing is a replacement permanently for being God's gathered people. And I understand there will be people who cannot do that for all sorts of reasons, be it physically or geography, and that's fine, and we will continue to bless that provision. But I would encourage you, to gather again with God's people as the Lord allows you with anxieties and uh, notwithstanding those things. To come and we want this place to be not a place of donuts only or whatever that is. And singing, inspiring songs, inspiring talks and all that and having a website where everyone can say, hey, look, we're all really happy but we're not, we're breaking apart really inside. That's fine. We don't want to put lots of you know, sad people on the website. Although a few would be okay, I think. Let's get some sad stories. You know, life is life, isn't it? Right. You know, we do tend to celebrate the great stuff on the platform. How about, I'm really rubbish at the moment and I'm really finding it hard testimonies. I think it encouraged a lot of us, actually. Yeah, exactly. So let's, let's look at that. <laughs> but you see, I'm so grateful. But as we gather, as we come back from exile or whatever you want to call it, it feels a bit. We want this place to be a secure place where we know what we believe. We can feel, we can share a place where we're led into the very presence of the king of worship. A place of godly instruction where the leaders, indeed all of us, whether we're midwives or whatever we're doing or serving the king in a church, whatever it might be, that we fear the Lord more than anything, anyone else, any man. And that actually we know the story we're part of because God's kingdom's coming, because Revelation 21 is true, because Jesus is coming back for his church. Isn't it great? Jesus is coming back, so this is our time. And he's going to come and put his feet on the mountain of olives, and he's going to claim you as his bride, and I want to be caught up in the air. And Paul says to us, he says, you know, and those who are dead in Christ, they're going to go first. Isn't that wonderful? They're going to rise first in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Read it in your Bible. And he says, and then those who are left alive will then rise up, and we're going to meet Christ in the air. I heard an amen a little bit then. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what's going to happen. And we're part of the kingdom's story. So as I, I'd be amiss if I didn't do this. Maybe you've never bowed the knee to King Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. And I just want to challenge you right now. And just say, God wants to call you. The God who formed you, who loves you, who created you, wants to bring you to himself. He wants you to come. And he's made that possible in spite of the rebellion in your life. All that thing that has separated you in the past, the my way thing, going your own way. He's made it possible by the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything past, present, future forgiven that we might step into a relationship with him. That we might know forgiveness. Yet it doesn't stop there with a ticket to heaven. That wouldn't be right. He calls us to then be ambassadors to serve him. To follow him, to be kingdom ambassadors, to be multipliers, to then wherever he's placed us in our sphere of influence, in our postcode, to follow him and serve him and multiply until he comes again and finds faith on earth. 
I want to be part of that story, don't you? Isn't it fantastic? I'm going to pray, so I guess the group are going to come out now. And I just want to just ask the Lord just to take away anything that's not been helpful today. I should ask the Lord to really just give us a time. Maybe just a, a silent reflection. Maybe check our motives. Lord, why have I been doing this? Maybe you've been doing this since you were an egg. And it's kind of got a bit, I know what I'm doing. Yes, I don't really expect the Lord to do anything different or new. My mind is closed to the Holy Spirit's new working. Well, you know, he wants to blow you off your feet. I believe the Spirit of God wants to do something special. It just means, it just wants us to want to. Lord, I want to want to. Don't you, anyone else? I want to want to. That's all. It's not about where you are, it's about your trajectory. Where you're heading. Just one tiny step, Lord. So let me pray, and then we'll sing again. Lord, we come to you. We acknowledge that so often we can go through the routine of gathering, giving little thoughts to what it is we're really doing. Lord, I pray that for myself first. Would you forgive me? Would you come and calibrate my heart to yours? Lord, might it be that as that music fades, Lord, might it be that I'll come back to that heart of worship. I'll come back, Lord, to hear you. I'll be gathered around you, Lord. I'll feel the security of being part of your people. Lord, I'll be one of those who just wants to respond in worship, in spirit and in truth to what you're calling me to do. Lord, I pray that I will love your truth, your word. Holy Spirit, give me a passion, spirit of truth. Lord, I pray that I'll fear you more than anyone, that I'll want to walk in your ways afresh. And Lord, I pray you'll remind me of the story I'm part of, the bigger narrative, that it's about your kingdom come, your will be done, that you're coming back. And may I take my place as your ambassador. Thank you for this glorious church, for the narrative of the many years. Might we go on with a baton in our hands, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I just want to give you a few moments in your heart now of quiet reflection. Yes, Lord, help us come back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.